Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Exploration involves risk, and um, that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Flying across the Pacific Ocean in space happens pretty quick, but man, that is a gigantic ocean. And you look down and there's lit from space and there's nothing but water in all directions. And I would often think about what was it like to be on a ship where you didn't know, you're just going on a parallel and you know you run into Australia, Captain Cook or those guys. So I would think about them from the you know 22 degree comfort of my space station and think, man, that was those are some pretty brave guys to do that. It's so easy to get bogged down in daily stress and I got emails and there's traffic and blah, blah, blah. And I can just like close my eyes and realize that there's the most unbelievable sunset that you can't even imagine happening right now, just you know, right on the other side of the earth. And this amazing Milky Way is out there. And so that kind of puts the mundane in perspective. Not to say that you know things are meaningless here, or we're just a speck in the giant universe, but to say that there really is a bigger picture, you know, more meaningful things, and not to get too stressed out about the daily life. Life in the 50s and 60s is different than you know, life in the 90s and 2000s. And we weren't developing a new fighter jet every year or two. Nowadays, the, the airplanes take decades and billions of dollars. But the whole concept of you're going to go do something that hasn't been done, or we're still doing that. I mean, even today, with new airplanes or new bombs or missiles or whatever you're testing on a, on a fighter is, is still there. It is better to not be idle. That's when people go to Antarctica or on a sub or something. That's when you kind of go crazy if you don't have any work to do. But that's not a problem on the space station, at least. Um, and on that segment, on the modules that we have, there's more than enough work for those three people, you know, every day to keep them busy. But the psychological aspect is, is super important. In fact, and I had been in space for a couple months, in this nice, comfortable, sterile, like I said, 22 degree, 15% humidity environment. Um, so we said, let's make it rain. Station's full of laptops. We put this at rain MP3 file, but the sounds of earth were something that I missed. When we were in space, I remember with my crew, there were six of us. We were having dinner together one night. I said, guys, there's over 6 billion people on earth and there's six of us here. We're like one in a billion lucky. Not that we're good or whatever. We just are pretty lucky to be up here. But my personal story, I, I tell people don't tell themselves no. So I always knew I wanted to be an astronaut. My, as a teenager, my room was full of airplane pictures and space pictures, and, but I didn't think it was possible because no one actually gets to be an astronaut. That's a crazy dream. But I figured out what you needed to do. There's something that I've heard called the overview effect. People like yourselves that have spent so much time watching the Earth rotate do you feel like it's changed you as a person? So you, it, it has. You know, um, there's a couple of great effects from that, the overview effect. Uh, my crewmate Samantha put it this way, that you get to see Earth as a spaceship flying through the universe. It's like when you're here, born and raised on Earth, you just, this is home this, and everything else is out there. But when you're out there, you can look back and see that the Earth is a spaceship. And and uh, the the words that she used are, we need to be, Crewmates, not just passengers, which I think is a great description of it. 
when I landed for my first space flight, uh, I landed, got reunited with my family, did medical tests, and I went back to my room, and I was like alone. And so just like any business traveler, you go to your room, you turn on TV. So I turned on the TV, and I just landed on the space shuttle a couple hours ago. CNN was on, and I watched it for like 30 seconds. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I, this is news, it was complete meaningless, blah, blah, blah. And it, that was my one moment where I went, all this stuff is really meaningless. Very few, some things are meaningful, but most stuff isn't that we worry about on Earth. Because I, I'm like, I was just flying through the atmosphere and I, you know, the perspective really is, um, I think, a great thing, a great change for me anyway. There was one day I was floating down from the Russian segment and the U.S. segment and the main modules, Node 1, where everything connects. And as I was floating through Node 1, and I had been in space for a couple months, in this nice, comfortable, sterile, like I said, 22 degree, 15% humidity environment, metal and plastic. It was nice. It was like a Hollywood okay. space spaceship. And I heard these birds chirping and I like stopped and I went, that was a bird I just heard. And I looked in the Node 3 and Misha Kornienko was in there exercising on our weightlifting machine, basically. And there was birds and I started talking to him in Russian. I said, Misha, I hear a bird. And he said, yeah, listen to this. And so the Russian psychologist had sent him an MP3 of bird noises, like noises from space. And it was the coolest thing I had ever heard in my life. And so I said, well, tell them to send me some. So they emailed me some MP3 files and at nighttime, um, probably for about a month, I would put my headsets on and fall asleep in my sleeping bag listening to rain, just the sound of rain from Earth. And it was so awesome. So everybody all of a sudden got all excited about birds and crickets or like, a, you know, like at nighttime when you can hear crickets or a crowded restaurant they sent up. You could just hear glasses clanging and crowd noise. Um, so we said, let's make it rain. So one weekend we put rain on all the laptops, the station's full of laptops. We put this rain MP3 file, and it was kind of cool for a while. And then by Saturday, by Sunday night, we were ready to, you know, jump off a building. So we turned the rain off. <laughs> we we're like, that's enough rain. But the sounds of Earth were something that I missed. Everybody yeah. up there too seemed to enjoy that. Do you really think we understand that psychological change that happens when you're up there and separated from Earth for so long? You know, um, there's a guy named Jack Stucer. He's a the PhD who does the psychology investigation. And most astronauts keep journals, I, I did. And you can be completely honest with them because they never get released. And he the, analyzes, you know, how people do. And and uh, he's got a great, in fact, he studied a lot of the Antarctic expeditions and s submarines as kind of a precursor to long duration space flight. And uh, we do understand a lot of the things that make people happy, a lot of things that make them unhappy. And it's really important, I mean, when you are working together and there's no escape, you know, um, it's super important. That, that can really make a mission go wrong or right. And in fact, when I was commander, one of my goals was to like each other when we were done. You know, when I was commander of Expedition 43, and I think our Expedition 43 crewmates are all good friends. We email each other every week, the Russians and Europeans and Americans. And so, but it's, that's an important part of spaceflight. I think when you're leading any organization, you need to understand who you're leading. If you're an army platoon sergeant and you've got a group of 18-year-olds out of high school, you tell them what time to wake up, you tell them to put their right shoe boot on first and then put your left boot on and 
hold your gun and do this. You know, you're very directive about every aspect of everything. Uh, that's on one scale. And on the other side of the scale, if you're leading astronauts who are all you, you know, it's very collaborative and it's, all right, guys, let's, what's a better way to do this? Or here's our problem. How are we going to solve it? It's, it's very collaborative until there's an emergency. We, we had a couple of emergency cases. And when that happens, do this, do that. It's, you become directive, but 98% of the time it's very collaborative. And, and a lot of, we made some good changes, I think, to the station just by saying, hey, what do you think? What ideas? And it's more like, hey, how, you know, you work together. But you kind of have to know your situation. Are you going to be directive? Are you going to be collaborative? Uh, and that's true on Earth. That's true for, you know, every, um, every, every facet. And I think if you come across as you, you know it all, people can see through you and like, two seconds and know that that you know that's not true so that that's how that's kind of was my philosophy about leadership <laughs>